You're now listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast, broadcasting from sunny Orange County, California. Filmmaker, journalist, and film historian, Paul Booth. Aloha. Welcome to Talking Pictures with Paul Booth. I am so happy to be here today, as I always am when I come up to the mic, but today's an extra special day. Our guest reviewer is Warren Fulton. Warren, how's it going? Uh, It's going really well, Paul. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing very good. Thank you for doing this today. Uh, We decided to pick uh, Dog Day Afternoon because Warren and I have been uh, talking about classic films, foreign films, but I remember in film school we used to have these cool Sidney Lumet conversations. Uh Of course, Lumet did 12 Angry Men, Serpico, The Verdict, so many other great things, but Dog Day. Um, We'll start this out with uh, Warren. uh, What is... What are your initial thoughts and things that you love about Dog Day Afternoon? Um, uh, just that for a film of its time, how <clears throat> controversial it was, and at the same time, kind of uh, just accepting of a of a good story. You know, the the fact that Dog Day Afternoon, uh, which came out in '75, is inspired by and based upon actual events of uh, a few years earlier. Um, the, the uh, God, what was it? Uh, the Boys in the Bank, right? Which was a an yes, article yes. Uh, in, uh, I, I can't remember what it was in, but, you know, I was a kid, so obviously I don't, I don't, Right. Yeah, no, I wasn't even born. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. I, I, I was alive, but I didn't, I didn't know the film when I, when it came out. Obviously, I was too young. And then when I first heard the title, and was intrigued by it, I thought it was a western, which is very strange, ah. right? And then, right. finally, did view the film, which was in uh, the late eighties. I was I was surprised at the the story in it and how compelling the story is and how you care about these characters even though for the mo- for the most part for the most the majority of us we're not we don't know that world we don't know the world of uh people transitioning gender uh we don't know the world of um you know bank robbers and and, uh, right. and and criminals and the criminal element. Um, uh, Al Pacino as Sonny and uh, John Cazell. Oh, my God. Amazing, amazing actor as Sal. He's more than just Fredo. He's so oh, good. yeah. Yeah. Well, I and I, I find that, you know, his characterization of Sal is... Uh, to me, what I think of is as his uh, high point of his acting career, because it you know you first see this character and he's got the the strange long hair and the high forehead, and his movements are just so odd, right? And uh, his character has this nervous vulnerability. And uh, at the same time, danger and darkness to him, right? Like it, his character right. really kind of uh, 
made a lasting impression on me. So I, I can't, when I, when I think of the film, I can't but think of, you know, his great performance, but I really um, think that uh, John Cazale's uh, performance is like, like just beyond the stratosphere. It, it was so um, just above what, what anyone else was doing what any other films were doing. Well, yeah, and then, of course, being so known as Fredo Corleone, yeah. I mean, this being right after Godfather 2, yeah. and him being so underrated as an actor, I I want to tie in this real quick to uh, the controversy of the movie. Of course, these two guys, they go into rob a yeah. bank. Um, you don't necessarily know why, but it's not a spoiler by now that this film, yeah. <laughs> I've actually looked up if this is considered an LGBTQ yeah. film. Yeah. Um, I, I'm reading here that it it hasn't. It's just a strong character that happens to be gay. Now, we can jump into in a sec here what this movie would be today. I don't even know if it would get made today because there would be so much PC and coordinators and. I, and I think such, it would be a but, very uh, different film if it was made today. Yes, right, right, and it's well. My my friend who saw it, my friend who's who's a gay man and and he grew up in the Castro. Yeah. So he said when that movie came out that the, um, we definitely won't discuss the main scene, but he said that scene and what, and why Pacino was doing it, he's like, you could hear like a needle drop. It was just so like, oh my gosh, it's Pacino and he's off of Serpico and playing Michael yeah. Corleone. And what a, what a contrast, right? You're, you're this mafioso badass that yeah. nobody will even look at in a room to at the time, at the time, again, what is thought of as weaker, not the same, Again, we're not yeah. saying that. Warren's not saying that. The show is not saying that. Um, and of course, who else could pull this off? But uh, of course, um, you know yeah. the maestro that is Sidney Lumet. I mean, yeah. what do you? How do you feel about the direction of this film? Um, Warren? Well, well you, you know how I feel about uh, Sidney <laughs> Lumet. Um, just yeah, it, everything he touches is golden. It seems. I uh, like it. It's an interesting, okay, the, the, well, I don't think it's a spoiler as, as we say, you know, the, 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 uh, Sonny's character, the rationale behind, or one of the rationale really behind the, the bank heist was, uh, to get the, the money for the, uh, sex reassignment operation for his new wife, Leon, which is a, the female, uh, transgendered person, right? Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> that was a really great use of all the new terminology. I'm yeah. Sorry, well, that's it. Like the the term <laughs> <Right>. the terminology <laughs> wouldn't have been the same back then. But what what's interesting right, to me <laughs> is that it's not that's not that's not really the focus of it. It it's right. right. It's brought up. You see a few of the off the. the Few of the cops, you know, giggle, laugh, make some kind of snide remarks, but for the um, for the rest of it, it's just treated like okay. This is a, just this is the rationale behind why. And um, right, but uh, yeah, and I've also I've read um, an article about how Al Pacino um, was reluctant to do this film and he was 
you know, initially thought of, like, he, he was the, the actor that uh, they wanted to at the very start, right? And, and then it was like, oh, perhaps Dustin Hoffman, he could also do it. But um, Al Pacino turned it down like three or four times where he was like, oh, okay, well, no, no, I don't know, I don't know, right? And I think part of it was the, the whole sexuality. But, you know, it, it's not like, I don't know. I, I don't think of, when I think of Dog Day Afternoon, I think of the, the, um, the scenes of, of him out on the street, you know, Attica, Attica, that comes to yes, mind. Yes, improv, yeah, right, right. That, right. and uh, um, I also think of like the, uh, intensity between um, uh, Gazelle and, and Pacino. And, you know, here, here they are, these amazing actors who we've just seen a, a few years earlier, or it would, depending on when you've seen the movies, but like The Godfather, the first two. One thing that makes this movie even more kind of powerful and jump off the screen is with Lamette's direction is that this entire movie... Uh, you had mentioned there's the outside scenes, but they had transferred, I guess it was this old uh, auto, auto parts place, and they had turned it into a bank. So this whole movie, like a play, takes place in uh, one, one area, and that's what made me uh, fall in love with this movie. I remember I was 14, and I uh, rented it. I said I was 17. I only grabbed the box because it said, yeah, you know, what a surprise, me back then. And uh, it's the box at Al Pacino, and my grandmother was always talking about Al Pacino. So I'm fortunate that my first Pacino movie ever was Dog Day. I mean, how lucky is that, right? Like, my first concert yeah. was The Stones. And um, so I remember I just watched this, and I just was so, like, this movie just took place in one room. Uh, there was nothing. They, were, they didn't go anywhere. It was just them. And... No, I mean, you can intellectualize now, right, that, of course, it's Pacino's theater background and Cazal's theater background and uh, yeah. some of the other actors, you know, Pacino pulled from the actor's studio yeah. and his uh, all his years in the theater. But, um, you know, with the direction for me, we both know all that goes into directing that I think the way a lot of people would think it's easier to direct a film in one room or it's easier one set. A little yeah. bit of technical talk here, right? No company moves. They did shoot it in, uh, what I read and heard was that they shot it in order to keep the actors in the same zone, but um, 10 times harder. So they did have this area of New York to themselves. They actually rerouted a bus route for um, the production. And uh, so we, we all know coming from Indian studio stuff, you would have to have Al Pacino in your production to get the city of New York to do that. What I want to say is, is, is there the, what we'll do as our last segment, is there something that you take from Dog Day Afternoon now, given that you have that second AD and location experience? Is there something that the movie can kind of give you where you can kind of go, aha, you know, like uh, um, in that sense? Well, just that, you know, for, for the uh, cost effectiveness of it, but also the fact that, you know, it, it was shot, as you were mentioning, uh, pretty much uh, story chronologically. We don't often do, right? But it made sense to do that in this case because it's really about the uh, performances. There aren't costume changes because it all takes place in the same period, short period of time, 
right? Um, yeah, so, right. you know, it, the, the, the reasons that we wouldn't shoot things chronologically are usually that, you know, you, you have actor availability, location availability issues, you have um, costume changes, hair makeup changes, uh, special effects, stunts, all that kind of stuff, which really impacts on what order things can be shot in. Um, but that's not the case in this in this instance. Um, I think I don't know one of the one of the the big takeaway things that that I get out of it now is seeing the the small little subtle hints in in the storytelling and what is said between um, the uh, hostage negotiating uh, police officer and sunny and where the communication lines uh cross like something as simple as um sunny's request not a demand at this point but a request for food for the uh himself and sal and the eight hostages or however many people there are in the bank i think it was eight or nine but uh, you know he he asks and uh, then it's offered that they'll bring pizza and Coca-Cola, and yet they got pizza and tab, because I noticed that for, for like, oh, that's <laughs> right. interesting. It's not Coke that they received, but they got tab and Dr. Pepper. So, you know, it, it's funny because script-wise and dialogue-wise, they say Coca-Cola, but they didn't get Coke. So was that, uh, you know, was that a deliberate choice? to show that you know hey yeah the negotiation isn't really getting what they're they're not really going to get what they want was that a foreshadowing of what was going to happen oh that's i like you know i look at it that way oh wow warren that was a great observation what you're saying about the tiniest thing uh could have been alluding to the negotiations aren't going well and i love that that's just such Lamette's work. Yeah. Um, these tiny little subversive things, be it that they're in the script, improv, they always seem to work with his films. Um, and that kind of leads into something that I took away was, um, I know the word masterpiece gets thrown around, but this is one of those films where I just, I really feel like we could talk all day about it. I think you could really get into just how amazing even the background talent, extras, side characters were. Uh, even the bank manager, uh, the tone is just set from the beginning when one of the guys wants to leave. So what I took away from was just trying to pay attention to every aspect. And I think we intellectually say that as filmmakers, but I think it's hard to, and you have to really be a limet to actually know what every second of your project is doing and saying. So uh, with that, I want to recommend the movie, making the book, Making Movies. Um, it is the Bible, in my opinion, and I'm not knocking anyone's religion, but uh, I did used to have it by my bed. And I, my girlfriend at the time would laugh at me, but I would just be like, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, and this is the only person I would go listen to every Sunday. So again, I don't say that out of disrespect to anyone. Um, so Warren, we wanted to, again, thank you for doing this. Um, I'm glad that we finally got to do this. We've been talking about reviewing something for a while, so... Um, your time is very much appreciated. All right, well, that is going to wrap it up for our review with Warren Fulton, my friend from film school, also a 
on the production crews up in Vancouver, filmmaker, poet, all around artist. Um, we thank you guys for joining us again. Dog Day Afternoon, you can check out on Amazon Prime. It pops on and off of HBO Max and Netflix um, whenever you're hearing this. Uh, that's going to do it for us here at Talking Pictures. You know my motto, whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening, make sure and watch a good movie. Aloha. Thank you for listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast. Real conversation and movie-induced inspiration.